Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Highlights the parable that we'll be studying this morning. Mark chapter 4, the title of today's sermon is Fruit-Bearing Disciples. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 21. And he was saying to them, speaking about Jesus, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Let us pray. Father, again, we count it a great delight and joy to go to your word as Jesus teaches in a, a parable here, Lord, we, we desire to embrace it. To some degree, we know the, the cards are stacked against those who love Christ. And yet, what a, a joy and delight for those who are in Christ. There is no other individual, no other God that we would want to serve. Jesus, we love you. You are our Redeemer and our Lord, and so help us to grasp this parable so as to apply it to our souls and continue to run the race that you have set before us. pray that you be with your preacher. Father, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. As we continue our exposition of the Gospel of Mark, we, we come to another parable. You know that this chapter contains four parables. They are, of course, truth in what Jesus taught. They were purposeful in their, their giving, of course. It's one of those things where when you think about how he's teaching, there was a reason why. And we saw that in our weeks when we looked at the first 20 verses of this chapter. A separation has occurred. Those who trust Christ, who follow Christ, and those who don't. The religious leaders, of course, remember they are the ones who are bringing great opposition to Christ. And so when we come to this parable, and he spent a long time not only to give the parable, but to explain the parable to us. And so these next three parables, they go pretty quick because there's no need to have a greater explanation because they fall in line with what he's already taught in light of the parable of the sower and the seeds. Remember that parable brought to light four different soils, four different hearts. 
and how they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, there was only one of those soils, one of those hearts that heard the gospel, received the gospel, and applied the gospel. And of course, that was the good soil. And in light of receiving the gospel implanted into their hearts, these individuals who have repented from their sins and turned in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, who in turn considered the cost to follow Christ, the parable tells us they produce much fruit. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It changes your life. It transforms your life. It saves your life. And in turn, that received gospel causes the born-again believer to bear fruit. And this is where Jesus picks up with this next parable. This parable has everything to do with the evidence of a fruit-bearing disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it comes to one being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, it really comes down to what? It really comes down to truth. And we're not just saying any truth. We're talking about the truth. For that matter, the disciple of Christ, the pool in which they swim, is in that pool of truth. Now, of course, you and I both know that the Scriptures are inspired. They are our authority. This is the, the, the pool in which we find ourselves. And when we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you take that Greek word, mathetes, and you look at it and define it, it means one who is a learner. Specifically, what it means to the born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is that you are a disciple of the Word of God that you are always one who is ever and always learning the truth that is found in him who is the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. My concern for today's evangelical church is that they don't get into the Scriptures. They don't get into the Word in which they, they claim to follow. And that is the place in which we must settle our souls. That is what a disciple of Christ is all about. He or she is all about the truth. And when we think about a definition of truth, it is that which is perfectly conforms to the mind and the character and the attributes of God. Speaking about understanding that all truth comes from God. God has declared himself in the Old Testament that he is the God of truth. And in the New Testament, God proclaims that he is what? The God of truth. That is to say, the truth it is a self-expression of the nature and the characteristics of God. God is all truth. Therefore, knowing the character of God, knowing that he is immutable, which means that he never changes, his truth always stands. Once spoken, it becomes eternal. Truth is never changing because God never changed. Truth is objective. It has never has been subjective. It's not open for debate, but only to be received and to what? Believe. He determines truth. And I think that you understand that, especially in a day and age where culture wants to do what with truth? Change it. To conform to their own likeness. To take the Word of God, and say, you know what, that's not really what God 
meant or said. Now, does that sound consistent when you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and you find in Genesis chapter 3 the snake that says, you know what, that's not really what God said. That confusion in the garden was about the issue of truth. And of course, we know that Adam and Eve fell because they didn't believe in the truth of God, but they believed in a lie. Truth holds constant, is unmoved by man's desire to change what it says. And the reason that is, is because the truth is eternal. It is eternal, unchanging. Why? Because God is holy and righteous and declares truth that lasts for eternity. Yet truth never fades away, never stops existing, is always present. And what did Jesus say about this truth? He said that that truth, this eternal truth, the word of God, it will what? Set you free. It will change your life. Again, the truth is what the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are all about. We are consumed about the truth. No wavering. Matter of fact, if, if, the, if society would only open up the scriptures, they would have their definitive direction of how to live and what to do. Of course, they do what? Just the opposite. Romans 1 tells us they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Concerning what it means to be a disciple, Jesus put it this way. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, you can look to the screen. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Every true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ has come to embrace the implanted word that is in their soul. They embrace the word of God as the only authority for their life because he is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. In fact, if you think about this, and just in a quick understanding of truth and how it impacts the life of the believer, you can have no spiritual growth without truth. You cannot grow in Christ without the sanctification of the word of God in your life. Where do we get that? John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, being set apart, being, being continued to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And only the word of God is, is what does that. And when it comes to worship, we can worship God and we can't worship God apart from the truth. Let me say that again. We can't worship God apart from the truth. Jesus said this in John 4, 24. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and what? Truth. Truth. And when it comes to the church, listen, beloved, the church in its place, in its place in society, is the one place in town where everybody should hear God's truth. Amen? Amen. Paul speaks to Timothy about the church in 1 Timothy 3.15 when he says, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then he says this, the pillar and support of the truth. The church doesn't exist to entertain, but to instruct, to equip, and build up others in Christ. And this is what Jesus is driving here in our parable here this morning. 
is a parable about pointing to the results or evidences of a true born again believer who is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes that last soil and launches into the reality of what the Word of God implanted into a soul in producing fruit. Of course, this is the results of one who is in Christ, who is saved, who has repented and believed. And there are three of them that I want you to, to notice in our text that are evidences or proof that you are a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is a litmus test. This is something for you to understand that when you think about your relationship with Christ, are you hitting these things? Do these things identify me? And if they are, you can walk away with certainty that you are Christ. But if they don't, a self-examination of the soul with the truth that is being taught, if I don't line up to what it says, I need to look inward. Why? Because you might not be saved. You might think that you're saved. And by the way, when we looked at the parable of the sower and the seeds, those first three soils, they all thought they were saved. But when the world pressed in upon them, when persecution came, they jettisoned what they thought was salvation. So let us look at this. The, the first evidence of a born-again Christian, now one who is going to be a fruit-bearing disciple of Christ, is that he's going to be a faithful ambassador. Look at verse 21. It says, and he was saying to them, now let's stop because it gives us some context. Who is he talking to here? Now the nearest antecedent of them goes all the way back to verse 10. And if you look your eyes up to verse 10, you'll see that as he was preaching to the greater crowd and giving them that parable, he, 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 the disciples, the followers, the 12, they all had questions about this, this interpretation of the parable. And so the nearest antecedent of who the them is is in verse 10 where it says, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parable, about the parables. The who is them. The them is the, the true followers of Christ, the 12 apostles. And so in essence, he's, he's addressing this parable to believers. Those who have received the word of God and received Christ Jesus, who are in his kingdom, and now are going to live according to kingdom truth. And so addressing them in this private meeting, so to speak, because they're separated from the large crowd, Jesus now turns to an image that... They would understand an image that would be familiar. Remember when we defined a parable, a parable is, is two words coming together, but it, it, it's laying truth, spiritual truth, upon something that is already known. And so here he goes again with an image for us to grasp. The first one was the parable of the sower and the seeds. They would have an understanding of somebody who's preparing their fields for harvest. And then... There's this parable, an image that was very common, and that, of course, is a lamp. In Jesus' day, these lamps would be made out of terracotta. They, they would be clay pots. Uh, when you go to Israel, you'll see these things. They're, 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 they were, in essence, very small that you could hold in your hand, but they what? They, they illumined the rooms in which you went into. They, they, they made the dark run so that you could see and not fall. They were very small. They were made with a handle with two holes. 
One hole was to pour the olive oil in, and the other was to place a wick. And they would be very commonly used in a household. They would be either placed on a shelf, on the wall, or most commonly they were put on a lampstand. And you think about a lampstand. Now, we don't have that. We have shelves, multiple shelves within our house. We have tables on which to put these things. But a lamp then, they would put this little light on, and it was for ease and access. They could pick up the lampstand and carry it to wherever room they were going in. So Jesus' disciples would understand this image. So verse 21 and 22 goes on to say this, and then look at it here. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket. Is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. I mean, it makes sense. Rhetorical questions. I mean, you don't produce a lamp and make it illumined so only to hide it. You're going to use it for its purposes. You're going to make it use its illumination to, to lighten a room. And so it would be counterproductive to put the lamp under a basket or under a bed. Of course, both of those places would extinguish the purpose of the lamp and extinguish the light. So, you have this light. Its purpose is to shine. And this is very interesting because when you think about what's happening here, there's something going on here in verse 21 that you can't see unless you're in the Greek. And this is so important for us to get because he's driving home a point. Literally, when you look at your verses, verse 21 reads, not a lamp. It literally has a definite article before every one of these. It says, the lamp is not brought to be put under the basket, is it? Or under the bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? Very definitive. Now, we understand definite articles, right? We're talking about someone in particular. We're talking about the lamp. We're talking about the bed. We're talking about something here that is so important. By the way, this is the only place in the New Testament where you have this definite article identifying the lamp. And why is this so important? Because Jesus is talking about not just old, any old lamp. He's talking about the lamp. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about the one who illumines, who has been sent from heaven. He's talking about himself. He is the lamp. He is the one who has burst forth into this dark world by bringing with him the kingdom of God. I mean, this is so important for us to grasp. I think about Colossians chapter 1 where Paul says in verse 13 and 14, speaking about Jesus Christ, it reads there, for he, Jesus, rescued us from the what? The domain of darkness. And how did he do that? Not only through his, his sacrifice on the cross, but also by his illumination, by coming in the world and going after sin and death. For he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in the face of Christ. 
I mean, this is God bursting onto the scene into a dark world by delivering his son and, and exposing his eternal truth of salvation and redemption to the one who would receive the light, receive Christ. And so the implication is that if that you have been given the light, and if you are in Christ Jesus and have received the grace and mercy that he gives, it's only imperative that you reflect the light that you've been given. Doesn't that make sense? There's no such thing as closet Christianity. Christ has saved you, redeemed you, so that you can show his good works within your life, that you can show his salvation and proclaim his goodness. You need to be an ambassador for Christ. You need your life to be put on a lampstand, lampstand for all to see. Jesus said this in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you think about it. What is that light of life? For every born-again Christian, they have the message, the redeemed nature of Christ living within them to be able to illumine and give and shine that truth to others. And so these disciples and these 12 apostles would, would clearly make this connection that the lamp and the light was given to them to shine forth in turn to proclaim this light to others. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why isn't it that our English versions, why don't they put those definite articles there? Now, I think part of it is because when you think about Matthew and Luke, they don't have them there. But it doesn't mean that because they don't have them there that it's okay for Mark to, to have them there. And so I think it's better interpreted with those definite articles by pointing to the reality of the seed that was sown in the heart that has received the gospel, and in turn, because Christ is the light of the world, we in turn will shine for him. It's all about being a disciple and ambassador for Christ. In other words, what he's telling these fruit-bearing Christians, those who have been born again, saved, transformed, they are to all serve as evangelists. Now, you say that word in the church today, and sometimes people get very scared. I got to do what? I got to share what? And you think about that. We shouldn't be in individuals who, who, who kind of cringe. And by the way, the world, they want you to be quiet. They don't want your light to shine. They don't want you to share the hope that's inside of you or even defend that truth. But listen, if you are a born-again Christian who loves Christ as Lord and Savior, you're commanded to let your light shine. We represent the King. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal. See what it says there? Through us. Christ saving your life, makes an appeal through you, that you... He goes on to say, let me read it again, excuse me. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is not only are we called to be ambassadors, but we are called to implore and share and call others to be reconciled to God. I mean, I think you understand what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador represents someone other than yourself. An ambassador represents someone, usually, of greater character, of greater position. An ambassador is sent to represent that greater person. 
And so when you think about ambassadorship, you think about being in Christ Jesus and having the light shine not only in your own soul, you're called to reflect that gospel truth into other people's lives. So it makes sense. We who are in Christ represent Christ to the world. I pause because I'm just thinking about how a woeful job the church has done of representing Christ to the world. I think I'm talking to people who, who get the truth, who want to walk in the truth. But how confusing has the church made Christianity to be? I, my, my mind goes all over the place thinking about different churches and evangelicalism that has stripped away the power of Christ and they are anything but Christ. We are called to represent the King. And when one does that, you're reflecting Christ in your life and you are representing Him who's given you grace who's given you forgiveness, who has saved you, who has given you his love, who has atoned for your sins. I think you get that. Christ is not calling you to be the perfect Christian, to have everything figured out. There's only one who was perfect, right? And we represent him, and we point others to him. You are representing the gospel to those who don't know the gospel. That is true evidence. When somebody gets it, gets saved, they are going to, to throw the light onto others, people's hearts. I get that. It's uncomfortable. Really? Is the message that you hold in your life, the, the message that you gave your soul to, is it really that uncomfortable? The one that has saved you and redeemed you and given you eternal life, is it really that uncomfortable? Oh, I get it. We get mockers. we got to discern how we throw that seed. We don't cast pearl before swine. But the call is that we do throw the seed and we illumine the light. And one who does that shows the true evidence that one is in Christ Jesus. Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16, listen to what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, they make the connection. As you live for Christ, they know that, that that's, that's not you. That's got to be something else in you. And of course, we point to Christ. That is Christ doing the things to make us his disciples in such a way that all the world can do is say, hey, somebody's changed your life, and I want to know who that is. So, beloved, you have been saved to be seen. You have been saved to show. You have been saved to throw the gospel in other people's lives. It is the duty of the church and every pastor and every Christian to take up the lamp of the gospel of Jesus Christ and put it on display for the world to see. 
By the way, that revealing, that showing, infiltrates every aspect of the world. Just because it's so dear and near, you think about even politics, a word that is so hard sometimes to really kind of spit out because it just seems so nasty. Christians are called to what? Show light in a dark world. Being a police officer, being a doctor, being a nurse, being a teacher, being a mom or a dad are to show light. And in turn, that proves, that shows evidence that you belong to him. Now there's a second evidence, and these last two will go quickly. There's a second evidence of one who is truly his, and that is having spiritual discernment. Look at verse 23 and 24 with me. He goes there, he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, still the same group, the followers on the twelve, he says to them, take care what you listen to. I mean, that last start of verse 24, what I just read there, the start of verse 24, I mean, you think about this. If there's anything that the church lacks today is discernment on how to follow Christ. It's a sad indictment on the church today. Why? Because they don't take care of what they listen to. Listen, this speaks about spiritual discernment. This speaks about an understanding of the Word of God so as to understand what it says and to apply it so that when anything comes against it, it either sticks or it flies, right? In other words, we either embrace it because it aligns with the Scripture or we kick it to the curb because it doesn't. You must be discerning to be a Christian. I remember interacting with a a fellow brother in Christ, no doubt he loved the Lord. But you know what he hated? He hated doctrine and theology. And I was concerned. The only reason I love doctrine and theology is because it exposes my understanding of God. It helps me in every aspect of what I think, how I worship, what I do. Yet he just wanted to live free and happy. And my concern is this. It's an Ephesian Ford type of deal that he was going to be swept by every what? Wind of doctrine tossed by the waves because there's no discernment. If there's one thing that is lost in today's evangelical church is taking care of what you listen to. There's a lack of discernment on who you follow and what you're listening to. And beloved, there are many wolves out there. You understand that? That come in the name of Christ. Shouldn't surprise us. Peter and Paul tells us that. Jude tells us that. But there's a, a lack of discernment. Now, biblical discernment, let me give you a greater definition. And the simplest definition is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error. Understanding the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making that the study of the scriptures to be used as a defense about what's out there. It helps us to distinguish what is eternal and what is not. In other words, biblical and spiritual discernment is synonymous with the ability to think biblically. 
Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. He teaches that it is the responsibility of every Christian to be discerning. Listen to what he says. He says, but examine everything carefully. I mean, I expect you to take your Bibles or on your drive home, open them up, not if you're driving, but if you're sitting there, and have a discussion of what you just heard today. Does it align to the text? Uh, does it <clears throat> help us to think rightly? Did he rightly interpret the scriptures? I expect as your pastor that if that doesn't meet the test, that you come and talk to me about that. Pastor, help me explain. Sometimes our tongues get tripped up. Sometimes the understanding gets lost. Sometimes it's, it's whatever the case may be. But, but listen, that's a joyful conversation. You're not threatening me by saying, hey, I don't get what you're saying there. Is that really what it says? Beloved, that's iron sharpening iron, so one man what sharpens another. Paul tells the believers in Thessalonica to examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every evil. The Apostle John issues a similar warning when he says in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen, according to the New Testament, spiritual discernment is not an option. It's not an option. It's required. Failure to distinguish between truth and error leaves the Christian subject to all kinds of false teaching. False teaching then leads to what? Unbiblical mindset, which results into an unfruitful and disobedient life. Which ultimately, what do I see? I see this in people's lives who take false doctrine and apply it as their, their test or their faith. One, it usually leads to, to compromise. Why? Because it has no substance. Truth has substance because God is behind it. And that spiritual discernment needs to be applied in every aspect of your life. Not just some of your life, all of your life. Every area, you need to allow the Word of God to illumine your mind and, and understand what it causes you or tells you or commands you or what it calls you to abstain from. All those things apply to every aspect of our lives. I mean, I just love the sufficiency of the Word of God. I hope you do too. God's Word provides us with the needed discernment about every issue of our life. I think about 2 Peter 1.3, where it speaks about God providing everything we need in this world. I love this. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. There it is. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who calls us by His own glory and excellence. It's through the true knowledge of Him. It's through the opening of the Scriptures. It's, it's, it's understanding the Word of God. And you have it. Not only do you have the seed implanted in your soul, but you have the Word of God to understand exactly how to discern what is right and what is true. And without it, you're like Ephesians 4.14, tossed here and there by the waves, carried about by every wind. Of doctrine. So the first two evidences of, of one who is bearing fruit and producing fruit of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ in your life is one that you're an ambassador to your show 
spiritual discernment. Last, is making a diligent effort to follow Christ. We pick this up at the verse 24 again. Look there, and I'll reread it. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And more will be given to you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. The point is, if you share the gospel with others, if you allow his truth to overcome your life, it naturally leads that you follow him. It naturally leads to a desire to fall, to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow him. And in that effort, I think what's, what this is paralleling is that last soil in verse 20, this good soil where he talks about the harvest, the bearing of the fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And when we looked at that last week, we're talking about unmeasurable harvest. This is so remarkable when you think about the obedience. There's nothing more joyful than following Christ and his word. The abundant Christian life is exactly that abundant. And as you obey, fruit will come. Jesus says, whoever has, whoever has the, the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be given more. And those who don't have the seed of the gospel in their lives will not bear the fruit that the gospel brings. I mean, we get that, right? Think about those first three parables, or the first three soils, the first three hearts in, parable, in that, parable, that first parable. We see that. They don't bear fruit. They're not implanted. I think of Luke's parallel passage. It gives us some insight of this. Look at the screen, Luke 8.18. Luke says this, So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. That is speaking about the first three soils of the previous parable. Those who think they have the gospel seed, if they don't consider the cost of following Christ, when they give in to the pressures of the world, when they love something else, that seed never takes hold, and it, of course, is taken away from them. Listen, when it comes to following Christ, we must pick up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him. Just as much as we are overwhelmed by his salvation, how much more is it desirous for us to do what our Savior calls us to do? That is a mark of a Christian. That is a mark of somebody who loves Christ, that we seek him first in everything. And in so doing, you will show proof that you are a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me wrap this up. And a very simple takeaway from our passage this morning is to take those three areas. I already kind of primed your heart. These three areas of these fruit-bearing disciples of what it looks like, these evidences, this proof, and let them shine into your life. Let them be a reflection and do you match? Do you match? Is the gospel always on the tip of your tongue? Are you an ambassador for Christ? Two, are you engaged in studying the scriptures? 
Are you desiring to understand the Scripture in such a way so as to be discerning when the world comes and challenges it? This, of course, means that you're engaged in Bible studies. This means that you're engaged in knowing God and His truth, that you're hungry for the Word of God, that you avail yourself to the Word of God. And then third, are you denying yourself and following Christ? And if the answer is yes to all three of those areas of your life, you can have assurance that you are His. I'm not preaching a work here. What I'm preaching is the fact of the gospel implanted into a saved soul's life is going to produce these things. And the answer is no. In an honest evaluation of your own soul, if the answer is no to these three proofs or evidences, listen, you need to come to Christ. You need to deny yourself. You need to repent and believe in Christ. Why? Because you're not transformed. You're not saved. Simple as that. Simple as that. There's much to be said there, but hopefully you grasp the point. Am I throwing seed? Am I being an ambassador for Christ? Am I discerning by knowing the scriptures and, and understanding the difference between truth and error? And am I showing a life that desires to follow Christ? Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning, allowing your word to settle into our hearts. It is our hope and desire that you take your word and that you apply it to our souls and that we are so ever to be conformed to it. Jesus, we thank you for being the master teacher that you are, ever exposing the heart of men and people. You desire selfless people who desire to honor the King. That's what your salvation does. It transforms us. It not only blesses us eternally by forgiving us of our sins and, and having you atone for our sins, your death on the cross justifies us before God. And not only that, it sanctifies us. It causes us to be the fruit-bearing Christian that you called us to be. So, Father, take your word. Let it to be a lamp into our souls. And, Father, may we see the goodness and kindness of your life and how we are living a life for you. And if it exposes darkness, Father, may we repent. And may we seek Christ all the more. And so we love you. We love you with a love that is not our own, a love that has been given to us by you. Grow us in Christ, knowing that the harvest that is harvested, the fruit that is harvested is yours. And so we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who has given us life, who has transformed us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll, we'll close the song.
Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.